0: Hello, my lovers, my puppies, my kittens, my schmoopies. Hi. Happy New Year. Happy 2022. We are back. My, my, my. That's a lot of twos, isn't it? It can be auspicious. And uh, check out the episode on astronumerology for more on this lovely, lovely combo. Uh, it's a number of union And also deception. What? But that's not what this episode is about. This is about me just saying happy new year. And I wish you the healthiest and happiest of years to come. We've had a rough ride, haven't we? And from the looks of things, it is slightly ongoing, isn't it? But that's neither here nor there because we have each other and uh, we will survive and thrive, by the by, I want to say a special, special, we're talking schmoopy level shout out to listener Melinda at Melianne. I'm going to withhold the digits, but it starts with a four. I know you're listening. Yes, you are. I am talking to you and to everyone else. Melinda tweeted at what the Fockery the following message, and I quote, to my number one podcast of 2021 what the Fockery. thank you for keeping me company on at spotify all year long hashtag spotify wrapped so here are a couple of things i know about melanie melinda melianne i'm not sure who you are but you made my day when i saw that tweet i was thrilled See a lot of uh, listeners DM me, right? And a DM is a direct message and it's private. And while we banter and go back and forth, it's always lovely. Uh, the public acknowledgement is good and also helpful for the indie podcasters such as myself. Uh, what we know is that Melinda is a listener and I'm assuming is following what the fuckery on spotify and has given it a rating i hope and you if you haven't done so please do hit follow and now they have a star rating system as well when in rome i guess right and she listens through spotify obviously because she got a spotify wrapped i guess spotify and a couple of other platforms have done the same thing they've sent us all listeners uh our wrap-up for the year 2021, showing us how much we've listened to, what we've listened to, and the ranking. And I am thrilled that I am number one on someone's list. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I look forward to hearing from more of you. Uh, we're also on Instagram, where, you know, we post pictures of those list guests who wish to be seen. Others cannot, due to the nature of their topics i'm thinking of the professional cuddler for example and the sex worker and just various people whose whose fakery is uh can put them at risk so i respectfully don't uh show their faces now on to our lovely i guess our very first podcast of 2022 Over the holidays, I listened to this particular podcast. It is a multi-part, limited series. The host and journalist, Jason Kavanaugh, conducts a real-time investigation into the murders, crimes, and conspiracies of hitman Charles Harrelson, father to actor Woody Harrelson. Yeah, that one, the white guy who couldn't jump. At least that's the name of the movie that launched his career. He'd done other things before, but that is how we remember him. At any rate, I was so riveted. See, we are all uh, aware of conspiracy theories. Some of us partake in them and believe them without a shadow of doubt, which I guess technically doesn't make you a conspiracy theorist, because if you believe a theory, then it's not a conspiracy in in the eye of the beholder. To the rest of us who do not believe in that particular fockery we probably dismiss it as just a conspiracy well i'm not going to blow it because our guest will tell us about this particular conspiracy theory and how it all ties with (laughs) who quite the character charles harrelson uh what do you become when your father is a hitman the next best thing a famous actor, I guess. <laughs> what the fuckery is, son of a hitman? Uh-huh. Well, we're about to find out. I am still Nadege August, your host. If this is your first time, welcome, welcome, and bienvenue, bienvenido. And uh, What the Fockery is a podcast about the things we hear about but don't know enough about. A series of conversations dedicated to hearing firsthand from the very people whose lifestyle, truths, or concepts we struggle with understanding, the very things we should know about but are afraid to discuss. Our topics and subjects may or may not be mainstream, but our guests and sometimes experts are in it, living their truth whether you accept them or not. In that vein today, my guest is Jason Cavanaugh. He is a veteran nonfiction TV producer. Over the past 17 years, he's produced series for a range of networks, including CBS, History, Discovery, Bravo, MTV, VH1, A&E, and... PBS. Now, Son of a Hitman was produced by Spotify and released and available only on Spotify, I'm guessing. It is Kavanaugh's first foray into narrative podcasting. He brings his documentary and interviewing experience to uncover answers on a case that is over 40 years old. Let's do this. jason what the fuckery is son of a hitman
1: so son of a hitman is a true crime documentary podcast that i produced and hosted in 2019
0: and it was number
1: so according to spotify it was the ninth most popular true crime podcast in the u.s in 2020.
0: i have to say Once I got word of your podcast, I binged it. I think I got through it in one day. It's helpful when you're home and you're listening to a podcast to reorganize, clean, putter around, and I was riveted. Uh, Rather than let me butcher what the story is, in essence, could you tell us a little bit of what it is? And I think my audience will be pleased at the salacious nature of (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Why I had to find Jason Kavanaugh. By the way, Kavanaugh, I've never seen it spelled without a U. What's that about?
1: Yeah, that uh, it's just about? it's just uh an alternate spelling of the name. It's a very popular Irish last name. There are a ton of kavanaughs out there. And I actually know some other Kavanaughs who are not related to me who spell it the same way. I have no relation to Brett Kavanaugh. I want to put that out there right. Right off the bat, I feel like he's ruined you know my what? last name.
0: Get get off the podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Sorry I, if you're a big fan. But.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. So back to the subject at hand. What was that about?
1: Sure. So Son of a Hitman is about Charles Harrelson, who is the father to famous actor Woody Harrelson. And Charles Harrelson was a contract killer, convicted of assassinating a federal judge in 79. uh, And he claimed to have been involved in the JFK assassination.
0: Right. So it's uh, listeners, it is worth the listen, if nothing else, for the conspiracy of the conspiracy. And I think part of it, too, for me, and I have to be honest, is obviously, you know, Woody House and being an actor, we all know. And he's quite lauded and known. I had no idea. I had no idea of his history um, but we can't blame a child for the sins of his fathers can we although apparently mm-hmm. there's a book called the Bible that claims that that happens <laughs> <laughs> It's a very popular book have you heard of it?
1: I've heard a thing or two about it yeah <laughs> yeah
0: what I really what really intrigued me is that you are not a, an investigative journalist are you what is your background?
1: sure so i have a background in television production Um, i'm a producer of nonfiction content you know i've been doing that for 17 years now um anything and sure um you know over the years some of the more the bigger name shows that i've done uh were you know moonshiners for discovery channel uh the real housewives of atlanta for bravo uh teen mom 2 which was on mtv Uh, Best Week Ever was a comedy show on VH1. Um, I did Nova for PBS. Biography, a couple episodes of Biography. Um, You know, I've done some journalistic television here and there. Um, You know, I've interviewed a lot of people over the years. Just normally I am, you know, behind the scenes, I'm cut out of the interviews. And so this was the first time doing something where I was, you know, going to be featured uh, and had to listen to myself. (laughs) <laughs> interview people, you know, and and have to listen to that in the recordings and in post and all that, um, which was a first
0: and you also had to make decisions along the way. Uh, and and you ended up developing your own theories, your own instincts about the stories. And you had a lot to keep straight. There are l- so many moving parts to this. so you how did this idea to do this podcast, Son of a Hitman, come about?
1: So a friend of mine, uh, we had been PAs together at MTV back in the day, back in 2005, you know, my first TV job we met, uh, my friend, Andrew Jacobs, uh, he went into the development route, whereas I went production, you know, I eventually became a showrunner. He became a development executive. Uh, and at some point he had, You know, he was familiar with the rumor that Woody Harrelson's dad killed JFK. You know, it's just like a funny and to him, it was like a a comedic thing. It's like, that's not real. You know, so he looked into that and saw, oh, wow, the guy actually did. uh, He died in prison for the assassination of this federal judge in 79. So Andrew reached out to Woody's people and, you know, they immediately said, don't ask again. (laughs) we don't want to touch this not happening. So Andrew then looked and found that Woody had two brothers, one of whom lives in Los Angeles. Uh, So he reached out to Brett Harrelson and Brett was interested. So he went, shot something with Brett and with an attorney, Danny Sheehan, who I spoke to in the first episode as well, um, who had, who was familiar with Charles's case and had helped to do some investigative work on it um, while Charles was locked up and they shot a sizzle for that. It did not go to series. It didn't sell. Uh, so at some point, Andrew came to me and he said, Hey, I'm thinking of doing this as a podcast. Would you be interested in show running this thing? You know, he were friends for a long time and he knew that that's something I could do. Um, you know the storytelling element of it is you know it does fit with my background you know and in what i've done in television so far there's always a lot of moving pieces it's telling like complex stories often with like a lot of different sets of characters etc um so that part made sense and then he was like you know uh, so uh, he, i watched the sizzle that he had shot for this thing and i was like blown away just the story itself is so fascinating just on the surface now he shot um, it as
0: a tv show potentially. Yeah. potentially.
1: Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. A proof
0: of content. Okay. Yep,
1: exactly. And you know, I think actually Discovery had given them some money to shoot this sizzle, uh, and then ultimately passed on it because Woody was not involved. Um, so you know, and that's that's always the tricky thing. It's like he's a huge, a huge star. Um, and we're dealing in media and Hollywood, and if he's not involved in it. You know, does anybody want to touch it? It's one of those, and uh, so ultimately, he he thought you know doing this as a podcast would be an alternate way to go about this. Showed me the sizzle; I was blown away by it. Said, absolutely, I want to be involved in this thing. Um, and then he said, you know, we would probably also need somebody to be a host slash investigator. Is that something you'd be comfortable doing? I was like, ah, you know, I don't know about that. I don't know if I want to listen to myself. Um, You know, I've done plenty of scratch voiceover over the years, you know, writing, writing the voiceover for shows and then reading it in, you know, it's temp. And even from network execs, I've gotten like, who's reading the voiceover? Like, what is that? <laughs> you
0: know? They so, sound awful.
1: Yeah, exactly. Fire that guy. Know, it sounds a little Sounds a little flat. I mean, it's like, yeah, I'm not a professional. Um, so, you know, I had to get comfortable with that, did a ton of audio samples and, you know, made sure that I was capable of doing that side of things. Um, but, you know, from there, uh, Andrew ended up, you know, it took a little bit of time to sell the project. He ended up partnering up with, uh, movie producer, Scott Bernstein, who had produced straight out of Compton, um, you know, worked at universal for a long time as a creative exec. Uh, and with Scott's help, it sold to Spotify. So Spotify gave us a budget to produce this thing. Um, and so from that point on, it was, you know, doing rewrites of the, of the creative, putting together an outline, um, you know, I had, I think a 12 episode outline originally, um, pretty detailed, you know, I had an idea as to where I wanted this thing to go. There were a few books written. Um, there were three individual books written on the three different, mur- three different murders that Charles was charged with. There was, you know, the murder of David of Allenberg. Berg, his brother, David, uh, wrote a book called run brother, run really fantastic book about that murder. Uh, there's a, a great book called dirty dealing by Gary Cartwright about the assassination of the judge. Um, which goes way in depth into that, uh, and then I found a third book on the murder of Sam DeGilio, which was the second murder Charles was charged with, um, by a journalist called Michael Volpe, um, which was more about the man who allegedly hired Charles for that hit. Um, but he had done a, he had done a bunch of FOIA requests and had had found a lot of documents and, you know, trial transcripts and things like that, um, that I was able to then piggyback off of that, interviewed him. He's included in the podcast as well. So, you know, with those with those three books, I, I did a ton of research, started like pulling together every news, news article I could find on these murders um, and began, you know, fleshing out who do I want to talk to, you know, put together an Excel list of, you know, endless list, a wish list of people who I would love to get in touch with, who would be primary sources who could tell me about this stuff. And you know, ended up locking out in that. You know, some of them it turned out had passed away before I before I got to them. Um, but in other cases, I was able to talk to a lot of people who were involved in these things, and like a lot of people said yes, which was pretty incredible.
0: Yeah, you know. yeah, and it was fascinating. You got pretty lucky in how willing they were, but there are also a few instances of contradiction. So mm-hmm. no one truly knows the the real story. And of course, you know, with his Charles passing, we I mean, he left with his secrets, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But why the title son of a hitman? Was he an established hitman? Were you able to get that definitive answer?
1: I mean, he was charged. He was charged and convicted of the murder of Sam DeGelia and the murder of Judge John Wood. So, you know, and, and there were people who said they believed, you know, uh John uh, Jack Lawn, who was uh, captain of the Texas Rangers back then, he believed that Charles was responsible for, I think, up to 10, 10 to 12 murders um, that they just didn't get him for. So I do believe he was a hitman. Um, You know, there are questions about those specific murders. And, you know, was he involved? Did he have accomplices who were not charged? Um, But yes, I do think he was, in fact, a hitman.
0: You know, it Brett uh, Harrelson, one of his son, Woody's brother, uh, sounds like he, it sounded to me as if he is convinced. In fact, all three brothers, I'd, I, I even Woody, because at some point Woody invested in trying to get his father out, right? Mm-hmm. They believe that, okay, he may have killed other people, but the federal judge, he had nothing to do with. Yeah. And I think that,
1: you know, I think that they have questions. I don't think that any of them have absolute certainty about any of this stuff. And I think probably some of their minds have been changed over the years. Um, But certainly Woody and Brett did believe that their father was innocent. I think Jordan did at that time. I think at this point, Jordan may have a different idea as to whether his father was guilty or innocent of the killing of that judge. Um, But yeah, there are certainly questions. There's questions about what he did and didn't do.
0: Right. Where does Woody fall in the hierarchy of brothers? You know, who's, sure. first, who's second, who's third?
1: Sure. It's Jordan as the eldest, then Woody and then Brett.
0: Oh, he's the middle child. Mm-hmm. Classic middle child becoming mm-hmm. an actor.
1: Mm-hmm. Are you a middle child?
0: <laughs> kind of. There, yeah. Okay. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. We're neither special.
1: You got to stand out.
0: Somehow, we've got to get that <laughs> attention somehow. And I normally don't like to make this about me, but yeah, since you asked, I had to volunteer that bit of information. Although when you're, when you're in a family of four children, it's hard to pick where are you in the middle? I mean, my it's sister true. who comes after me can also claim being middle, right? So mm-hmm. who knows? Mm-hmm.
1: See, I'm an eldest. I'm very oh. much an eldest child too.
0: Yeah, of how yeah. many? Three. Three. Okay. All boys, all yeah. girls, mixed.
1: No. Uh, my brother is three years younger than my sister is ten years younger.
0: Okay. All so right. Big gap
1: there.
0: Yeah. yeah. I bet you're very close to your sister, huh? With that big age gap.
1: As we get older, we get closer. Yeah.
0: You know what? That's actually true. I remember yeah. when I was able to tell my sisters what to do unequivocally because <laughs> you're I'm the oldest. You're going to listen. And mm-hmm. then when they started to go, no, we're, no, not anymore. And then now seeing that they have. Adult surpassed me in adulting, if that is mm-hmm. a thing, you know, mm-hmm. like they are married, have children, responsible, and I'm still.
1: Oh, uh, we're in LA, right?
0: We are in LA. Right. Speaking of LA, you left LA and you traveled to go meet these people. How long did you, uh, how long were you away doing all of this work for?
1: The trip itself, I think, was three weeks. I flew into Dallas, Fort Worth and traveled west across Texas uh, meeting, you know, and I really packed in the the interviews during this. It was an open ended trip. We hadn't booked my return flight immediately um, because I wanted to just make sure if, you know, last minute interview came up that I was able to take that. Um, you know, as I was interviewing people, I would always ask, hey, is there anybody else you recommend that I speak to? Um, because in so many instances, that was how I got access to, you know, the next layer. Uh, and it really was just, you know, trying to peel back this onion and, and getting all sides of it, you know, talking to the prosecutors, to the FBI. Um,
0: Did you have sorry. all of these meetings uh, scheduled ahead of time?
1: I had... I had made contact with all of these people and said, Hey, I think I'm going to be in Texas during this period of time. Do you think we could schedule a time to meet, um, found out what people's availability where it was. And, you know, from there it was like a, a juggling act trying to figure out when could I see who and when. And, um, but yeah, I, I, for the most part, people were pretty open and willing to talk and willing to meet um, and gave me a good amount of their time too. You know, I spent with some individuals, I spent a couple days um, which was a nice way to actually get to know them and, and, and just gain people's trust, you know? I think that was the biggest thing, is getting people to feel comfortable and, and you know, open opening them up and, and having them willing to talk, you know?
0: Right. Well, I have to say, you have a trusting face. <laughs> Thank you. I'd certainly give you some information about myself. All right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I know you're a middle child. <laughs> I,
0: you know... You were going into a situation where you knew you were going to be around uh, quite a few unsavory characters. Were you nervous? Were you scared? What was that? You know,
1: I, you know, I guess it's what's the definition of unsavory, right? I think going into this, I tried to just treat everybody with respect, um, recognize the humanity and everybody else who I was going to be dealing with. And take it from there. You know, there was a line where I had to sort of check myself and remember because part of this is like, I'm producing this thing. So I'm thinking just in terms of what's the story? Am I getting like the goods? And then on the other hand, I'm going, but I'm the talent and I need to protect the talent. And the talent is me. And I need to just recognize I'm not a character in a mystery novel. This is real life. And I do need to be careful. You know, I think there was a moment in Houston. Um, where I found that what's that guy's name? God, I'm blanking on his name. The guy who hired Charles to kill uh Alan Berg. Oh. Anyway, there was
0: yeah, uh, I, you know, I do remember, in, I do remember yeah, that sorry. interview. Yeah. I'm no, like
1: I'm like drawing a blank. It's okay. I, um, I am too, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh it, it was a couple of years ago. Um, but anyway, I'm in Houston and I now know where this man who allegedly hired Charles Harrelson to kill Allenberg. I know where he, where his, where his place of business is, right? And at this point, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna call him to make contact with him. I call him. I speak to him very briefly. He says, "I, I want nothing to do with this," and hangs up. I then call Dave, David Berg, Allenberg's brother, to tell him that I made contact, and he says, "Listen." I know you're good at what you do, but do not go over there and try to talk to him. He's always armed. Don't go over there. And, you know, in hearing that, I'm like, okay. I mean, the guy's is he really going to shoot me? I'm like some some random person coming and knocking on his door. He doesn't you know, even if I am asking him questions about a murder that took place. 40 years ago. I mean, does he really, he's not going to shoot me. Then again, I'm like, I don't know. He
0: might. <laughs> I, Texas.
1: I, it's Texas. And I'm, I'm hassling him about something that he doesn't want to think about. And I don't know. It's funny. I had called the person who I was dating at the time, uh, immediately after that as well. And she was like, just go over there and talk to him. Wow. She's like, he's not going to know who you are. And I'm like, really, <laughs> do, you, are, are, do you have my best interest at in heart here? <laughs> um, you know, I, and I think I don't regret not having seen him in person. You know, I was speaking to someone recently who works for the Innocence Project in Los Angeles who was saying that she does go and knock on the doors of killers all the time. Mm. And she's like, that's just a part of it. You just do it. Um, and, you know, maybe with a little bit more experience and maybe the next one, I would. And I would feel more comfortable with that. But for me, it was like, I'm alone. I'm in Texas by myself. And I don't know. Wow. I don't, I just don't know what can happen. You Andrew
0: know? did not come with you, your partner.
1: He did not. He had just had a kid.
0: Oh, wow. He had
1: just had a kid. There was talk of him coming initially. And then his wife had a baby and then it was like, okay, I'm going alone. You- um, I did meet up with Brad, who was Brad Thompson, who was our investigator. Um, I met up with him in Dallas. He came with me to Lovelady, Texas, which was where Charles had grown up. Um, and I was glad to have him with me out there because it was a little bit, people said a couple things that were a little weird. Yeah. Um, through him
0: to translate. uh,
1: Not even that. I mean, people said like weird racist stuff, which was like, Oh, okay. I'm not in Kansas. Like this is, you know, this is not Los Angeles. I'm in the middle of nowhere, East Texas. Um, yeah, I don't know. So, so I was glad to have Brad with me who was, you know, a cop retired cop who now works as a, a private investigator. And, um, yeah, I was happy to have him with me. Um, you know, but from there I left him in East Texas. He couldn't come with me the rest of the way. And then, you know, from there it was like, Other than, you know, that initial, the Houston stuff, I think from there, you know, the Chagra family, there was a moment where, you know, meeting with leader Chagra, and he's like, let's go into Juarez, I'll take you into Juarez, we'll have a good time. And then, you know, I call everybody back in LA, and they're like, do not go into Juarez with someone who spent, you know, a number of years in prison for selling drugs, and whose family is, you know, he's a legacy. Um, but you know what? He ended up being like the nicest guy in the world. I had a great time hanging out with him. I hung out with him all weekend. Uh, we were doing tequila shots at noon, you know? <laughs> it, was, it was an
0: experience. So this was a working vacation.
1: It was, it was fun. Yeah, I had, honestly, I had a great time doing it. It was, it was fun, you know? And I don't know, is, is that the professional way to do it? I have no idea, but it was no, fun. It was a good time I, and I got great interviews out of people. Yeah, I you know? imagine
0: it is because it puts people at ease.
1: That's right. exactly it. If
0: you have a drink with them. I, I I I say this, although I you know I don't abuse alcohol as much anymore because you know during the pandemic I went nuts. And mm-hmm. Probably who didn't I don't know, mm-hmm. but I I, I I do have a thing where I say I don't trust someone who doesn't drink. <laughs> <laughs> so if someone hands you a shot of tequila and you're trying to get information out of them or an interview, you might as well guzzle that pupper down.
1: Well, and you know what? In that case, it wasn't even that mercenary. It was more like you know what? I'm here in El Paso. This guy's offering. He's fun. You know, let's do it. Let's have a good time. You know, it it got that weekend. It was a long weekend. I was exhausted by the end of it. Also just driving across Texas. And that was toward the end of the trip. I was I was worn out by then. But, you know, really nice guy. And, you know, it's one of those instances where I think it's interesting in talking to the law enforcement side. There's sort of a very black and white idea as to innocence and guilt and the good guys and the bad guys. And then you meet people and you're like, these aren't bad guys. Like there are laws in this country and they change over time, particularly drug laws. Right. And what was illegal even 10 years ago is now legal, you know, with marijuana. And so, you in know, I, I don't think that makes in most states. Right. And I don't think that makes somebody a bad person. It's like, yeah, maybe somebody took advantage of, you know, you can make more money if something's illegal. So they, they did X, Y, or Z, but I don't think that makes somebody a bad person. It doesn't make them a dangerous person. Um, You know, and, and that was nice to, to be able to spend time with people who are, you know, have different backgrounds and yeah, learn from them. You
0: know, And I think too, law enforcement, enforcement certainly forgets that I get that there is there is there is a gray area that most people don't want to acknowledge right because of the rule of law we have to mm-hmm. it's either that or black or white as you as mm-hmm. you put it but <clears throat> we have to acknowledge or they have to acknowledge that as humans we are multi-layered we are Absolutely. not just one thing I refuse to believe that a bad person so to speak bad because of their be- is like that 24-7 these are people look at Charles gave you know was married had the three sons. Granted, none of them lived with him except for, was it Brad or Jason? Uh, Brett. Jordan.
1: Yeah, Brett lived with Brett. him for like six months, yeah. <laughs> the year the year that the judge was assassinated. So pretty soon before that.
0: Yeah, go so, figure. Yeah. So yeah, no, to your point, people are just one thing. So you, you can have a human contact and, and, and connect with them at that level. And, mm-hmm. you know, h- how they earn their li- living is not up to you.
1: Sure. I heard it described as, you know, in in terms of people who are, say, in prison for committing a murder, uh, they are being defined by the worst day of their lives, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's not the the total sum of who that human being is, you know? That's
0: true.
1: People make mistakes, um, you know, and it's not to say that it doesn't justify anything, but it does. You do have to have some compassion, I think. Um, You know, I was really struck by you know, meeting with the kids of Jimmy Chagra, um, like Jimmy Jr., you know, and he would talk about visiting his, you know, both his parents went to prison uh, and being a little kid and having to go visit them on Christmas and everybody would be crying. And, and it's just, you think about that and it's like these poor kids. And it's, again, it's not to say their parents broke the law and those are the consequences. It is what it is, who but is it's Jimmy still Ch- sad.
0: Who is Jimmy? So
1: Jimmy Chagra is the man who allegedly hired Charles Harrelson to kill the judge. He was a big, big weed smuggler uh, in the 80s. -hmm.
0: Now, Jim, he never admitted to hiring.
1: No, so he was actually, uh, he was not, he was acquitted for the hiring of Charles, but Charles was convicted for killing the judge (laughs) for Jimmy Chakra. So it's a complicated thing. He was tried separately. Um, You know, his lawyers were able to get his his trial held separately, um, and he was found not guilty of that, but he was convicted for the drug charges and so went away to prison for life and then got out in old age uh, because he was willing to confess to the attempted assassination on the prosecutor, James Kerr. Wow. Which he then says he didn't do.
0: Right. But he But but
1: he cooperated because it got him out of prison.
0: Unbelievable. We it's a, it's a very con, it's convoluted. It really mm-hmm. is. You tr- there's you, a you, lot of de-
1: there's a lot of detail and I, I know it's hard to, to yeah, track all of it.
0: Exactly. And for true crime uh, podcast fans, this is catnip, I imagine. But you did a great job, I felt, because for someone who came to it, such as myself, with no idea about the history. So I had no preconceived notions of what my I had no judgment, so to speak. Um, So I you were able to to uh, sort of draw a map for me. Right. And you were in in certain episodes, you would remind us as to this is where you met this character before such and such from. They did this and that. So super helpful.
1: Thank you. I, I try. It was a challenge. I mean, I think initially Spotify, some of their notes were. Can you send us a list of the characters? So we can try to keep track of all these names because there's a lot. And I we did our best to simplify as much as possible. But ultimately, like you're dealing with legal proceedings. This stuff is complicated, you know, so you're juggling, like trying to understand just what the law is mm-hmm. and then who all these characters are and just keeping it all straight, you know, and you don't have visuals to go along with it. So it makes it even more challenging. Yeah, I was know? going
0: to say, yeah, it's not mm-hmm. like watching a movie or a documentary where you can remember. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I Right.
1: It's that, that guy it. with the mustache, whatever, right. you know.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or the woman with the twang. Um two more questions. So Brad was the investigator you hired. What mm-hmm. why did you need to hire an investigator? What was his It's a job? good
1: it's a good question and it was not my call. It was one of the other producers um had a contact with uh this private investigation firm in Texas uh fortuitously and it worked out that way. Ultimately, it was helpful to have him because one of the things that he was able to do was get in touch with you know, there were people who are not Listed in the phone book, you know, or harder to track down. Um, particularly, you know, it's like younger people. You can usually find them through social media. You can you can make inroads and and ultimately track somebody down. But somebody who's 78 years old doesn't necessarily have social media. In some cases, like they didn't want to be found. You know, James Kerr, the prosecutor who survived an assassination attempt, he did not want to be found. Um, to the point where Brad did track him down and his first question was, how did you find me? Mm -hmm. Um, Did not want me to give away his location, uh, you know, as to where I interviewed him, any of that. Um, And that wasn't just, we weren't just trumping that up to make it sound dramatic. That was real. Yeah, Um, Yeah. So, you know, Brad was really useful in that. Um, Also like the first first person on the law enforcement side who we got in touch with was Ray Yan, the prosecutor from the Judge Wood assassination case. And really big, big prosecutor has done some huge cases. And the fact that we had a Texas, Texas lawman basically re- doing the initial outreach helped. Just to say, hey, we're not, the, we're not trying to get you. We're not trying to trick you in any way. Um, you know, also Jack Lawn, the Texas Ranger, like it was helpful to have that sort of law enforcement presence, the local sit- presence. A local presence, and also like we're on the same side, kind of a thing. I can say that when I showed up at uh, oh, not Jack, Jack Lawn, I'm sorry, he was the former head of the DEA and had led the FBI's investigation. It was, um,
0: fuck. <laughs> it's okay, Listen, <laughs> so many names, so many names. But the
1: Texas Ranger, when I showed up at his place, he said something to the effect of, Well, how do I know you are who you say you are? And, you know, there was like this skepticism. I'm like, whoa, what does that mean? You know, but I think like for me, I'm like some kid from New York with glasses. I, like I, I just, I'm not a Texan, you know, and I'm not one of them. And so it was helpful to have Brad as like through and through Texas cop, you know,
0: I appreciate that you didn't try to donate Texas accent, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you <can> say, y'all. <laughs>
1: You know, sometimes you spend enough time with somebody, you start to take that on. But with Texas, I'm like, look, I I get it. I'm not I'm not a Texan. I can own that.
0: that. Not doing that. Um, You know, one of my favorite characters. I don't know why, but I know why, actually. And I'll tell you after it is whose name escapes me. The woman who ended up who was Charles's ex-girlfriend who ended up Mm -hmm. testifying.
1: Sandra Sue Attaway. Yeah.
0: Yes. What's her story?
1: (sighs) It was actually really sad. She was not in good health. Um, by the time, you know, we got to her and she passed away actually like two months later, um, after I had interviewed her. Yeah. So we, it was like just in time. Um, I was not able to get in touch with her while I was in Texas. So in fact, that interview took place after I was back in Los Angeles, which is why I didn't meet with her in person. Um, Brad had gone and literally, I mean, he he suggested he's like, Well, I could show up, knock on the door with flowers and see if she wants to talk. know <laughs> Texas charm. And uh he literally did that, oh. went to her went to her place of residence. She was no longer there. She and her husband had both just moved into like a nursing home, assisted living hospice, sort of a situation. They were both in, I think, pretty bad, pretty bad physical shape. Um so at that point, yeah, we did get in touch with her. She initially was a little hesitant to talk to us, um, ultimately chose to. And it was incredible to speak to somebody who had been so close to Charles. You know, he's sort of this enigmatic figure that we're kind of chasing after. And you have all these people who sort of see him from a distance. And here's somebody who had a relationship with him, like a love a love affair with him. Um, but then also this really... Tumultuous experience with him as well. It's it's pretty sad. Right. Um,
0: we don't want to give away what she her claims of abuse. Huh?
1: It's I mean it's okay. Yeah, she I mean she said that he he basically beat the shit out of her uh, in a casino. Um, pretty rough. I mean that stuff was hard to. It was originally it was in the it was in the court documents um regarding that case you know she didn't go into too much detail with me about that but it got graphic detail in the court documents um
0: how old was she when she was with Charles
1: probably 20s
0: she was in her 20s yeah I
1: believe so yeah yeah Um, Um, you know, and I think it was a situation where he was, you know, I think she was, he was a, you know, people said he was a pimp, basically, you know, I think they were dating, but he would also like use her to make money. Um, you know, I think they were both using drugs. I think, you know, I think that's, that's sort of like an unspoken part of all this, I think is throughout all this stuff. He's using, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: he's using cocaine pretty regularly, I think. And, um, you know, may have inspired some of these crimes where it's like, it's a way, it's quick money, you know?
0: Right, right. So she, what convinced her to testify against him? Because she claims to have been a, an eyewitness to one of his. Mm-hmm.
1: and Not just an eyewitness, but she abetted him and in, in luring, luring Allenberg out of the bar, you know, called him and promised him basically a blowjob if he would meet her at this bar. Uh, and then he, he comes out of the bar and Charles is in the car with her, throws him into the trunk of the car and drive him off into the, you know, into uh, out toward Galveston. Um, you know, ultimately didn't, she, sorry, go ahead.
0: No, no. Uh, didn't Charles get acquitted of that one? He did. He did. He did. Yeah. So, he did.
1: so alleged, thing. allegedly, allegedly, alleged. I should, I should add that.
0: Okay. I'm sorry. Um, I interrupt you about her. No,
1: no, no. It's okay. So, you know, ultimately her, she was dating another guy after, you know, this is now, I think two years later before they actually arrested Charles for this. And she chose to talk to the police because her boyfriend who she was dating at the time, there was a reward. There was like a $10,000 reward for information on the murder. And ultimately they came forward. I think he came forward first and then she agreed to testify if they would basically not charge her with abetting, abetting him in the murder. Um, but yeah, there was there was a financial there was a financial element Lure. to it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: There was. Yeah. But that being said, I do believe her claims. I don't think that she was. Uh, yeah, I think that she was being truthful in those right. claims.
0: Yeah. Yeah. She didn't make up what she witnessed or abated for that matter for a plea deal. Right? I
1: don't th- I don't think so. You know, what's strange is that, you know, toward the end of the podcast, a woman reached out and said, oh, Frank Di Maria is the name of the guy who allegedly hired charles to to kill allen berg and a woman reached out and said de maria confessed to her that he shot allen berg percent no woody is not going to be involved in this he's not going to want and it's not even that like brett won't ask him he's just like woody's not going to want to talk about this there's no fucking way it's not happening um and then it got to a point where anytime I would ask him, he would get a little pissed off that I was like asking him once again. So I was like, okay, I need to back off on Brett. It's just, he's not, he does not appreciate this. You know, there was a night where he was going to be going and seeing Woody. And I was like, am I, like asking? And he's like, do not ask me again. You know, I'm like, okay, sorry, Brett. Um, and then, you know, in talking to Jordan, I, you know, and then I'm like, okay, you know what, Jordan and Jordan and Woody have a different relationship than Brett and Woody, you know, according to both Brett and Jordan, Brett and Woody have kind of like, they clash a little bit sometimes, you know, there's a little bit of a power struggle between the two of them. Um, whereas Jordan, I think is like, he's the oldest, but he's also like very easygoing and whatever. So, you know, in asking Jordan, Jordan's like, you know what? I think, let me ask him. It can't hurt to ask, um, you know, Jordan and I got along really well when I went through Midland and hung out with him and his wife. And so, you know, Jordan presented. He was basically like, "Look, I think this guy has found information that other people haven't found before. Um, he's really done his homework. I think you should at least Consider. give him the time of day. Listen to it." So at this point, um Jordan gave Woody my information, and then Woody's assistant of 30 years, Tracy, reached out to me. We had two conversations. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, I presented her what I had found up to that point. She was you know, I think understandably so her, her role is to make sure that anybody just can't get access to Woody, which is completely understandable. There's plenty of crazy people out there. She's a watchdog. Exactly. At one point she asked me something like, what is it that you want from the Harrelson brothers? And I was like, Whoa, this is not a, uh, not a blackmail situation here. I am honestly just telling a story, you know? Um, And, you know, ultimately there were claims that I had to at least ask, for comment you know uh doing shrooms in the prison with charles um you know that's like a story where it's like okay well technically that's illegal so i have to at least run it by him and say do you have a comment on this i can't just go accusing people of things right or not that i was accusing but somebody else is telling that story you have to give them an opportunity to, to comment on right, it sure um and you know ultimately they they did not want to participate um I know that the information was put in front of him and he made his decision not to not to participate. I mean ultimately I think it's one of those things where he's not behind the project, he has no editorial control over it and what in what way does it serve him to participate? I think is is his people's approach toward this. It's like what is there to gain? There's only you can only lose. Like and ultimately like his dad wasn't always the best there's some ugly stuff in there and you know you don't necessarily want that reflecting on you even if it has nothing to do with him and it doesn't have anything to do with him but ultimately that's not always how people think you know and why damage a reputation you know that's already he's you know he's a beloved actor so
0: yeah yeah i mean he apparently you know may have damaged it a little bit you know when i guess it was in the 90s when he when some law changed he did his best and put his money and clout behind trying to get his father a new trial.
1: Mm-hmm. And then played basketball with the judge. And that judge was recused himself. And then a new judge came on. And then that was the end of that. With the um,
0: kibosh on, none of them Hollywood folks gonna come down here and push their weight around.
1: <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, honestly. And regardless of whether Charles was guilty or innocent of being involved in the assassination of that judge, he did not get great representation.
0: Hmm.
1: Initially, you know, um, I feel like I could have done a better job representing him in that yeah. trial. You, <laughs> you
0: know, know,
1: it's sorry. God,
0: Charles strikes me as someone who's had nine lives. He is one lucky son of the gun. Can I just say that? Oh, yeah, he yeah. kept on getting away with so much. I mean, the stories of while he was in jail, having women come in to have sex. He always had cash. He was able to pay jailers off to it's how, you know. Well that's where it gets
1: a little funny and I think that there's elements of it's Texas, it's East Texas in the 60s you know I think there's elements of not everybody can get away with that stuff uh it's a it's weird it's weird it's not it's not cool uh, I'll say that much I think um I think the guy got away with stuff that he probably shouldn't have gotten away with i mean even just to get convicted of the second murder he was convicted he was found guilty he did five years in prison murder somebody you yeah. murder somebody for you know for money and you get five years i don't know you know i don't know how that happens and i think in a lot of these cases it's interesting looking at all this stuff because what you see is that people who are willing to cooperate with law enforcement people who are basically rats you know they don't do time i mean little larry you know one of charles's friends that guy was found guilty of murdering somebody tim overton the head of uh, the dixie mafia at the time and he did no prison time he got parole for murder you know so he's cooperating he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a government witness at that point obviously you know he's cooperating in some way um so i think that's how a lot of these guys are able to to get by so hey if you ever commit a crime <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) Just cooperate. I don't know if it still works that way, but back then.
0: I know, right? It's insane. Paola. Well, Charles sound like he was a legend in his own mile mind. And if he had the wherewithal, he may have been a terrific actor. (laughs) He thinks him, you know, just based Mm -hmm. on what we've heard, what I heard and the stories people shared about him, his womanizing, sometimes his stories just sound so outlandish. He really had a quite the fruitful imagination, didn't he?
1: I think so. I think it's someone who was living this larger than life existence, Right. right? He's got like a fantasy life that he's living out. You know, some of us have fantasy lives, but we don't actually go through with all these crazy things that go on in our head. And I think that's somebody who really wants to be this, you know, to claim that he was in the CIA, that he was involved in the JFK assassination, to be involved in assassinations and, mm-hmm. you know, scamming people at cards and all these things. I mean, he's a character. He is. He's a character in a movie He really come to is. life. Yeah.
0: yeah. And then I it's
1: fascinating know. that his his son would then go on to become a famous actor, right?
0: Right. Yeah, I know. I'm like, mm. uh, <laughs> apple does not fall from the tree except <laughs> one went the, the way of light, although mm-hmm. Hollywood can be. Uh, <laughs> sure. Yeah, we're not sure how, light, how much <laughs> light there is there. Um, I can't help but wonder too about Charles. No, here's a better question. Having you, having spent time with both Jordan and Brett, did they turn out to be fairly well-adjusted humans? Like, I guess what I want to know is how has knowing that your father is who he is affected you and your psyche and your life and your decisions?
1: What's so interesting is, I guess it's like a nature-nurture thing, right? I think that both Brett and Jordan are who they are from just like a character perspective. Like, I think Jordan just is who he is. He's a law-abiding, nice, God-fearing Texas boy. You know, like he's not... uh He's he, regardless of what his father did, he was not going to become a criminal. Um, I think Brett has an edge. And I think Brett's edge, it's from what it sounds like, it's from a very young age. he's had that edge. and he told stories which unfortunately didn't make didn't make it in. but like, you know, he's he's big into racing. he rode motor he's rode motorcycles forever. and he told some crazy stories about like intentionally provoking cops while he's on his motorcycle, giving them the finger. And then playing like a cat and mouse game with them, where he's like riding, you know, going insane speeds, getting away from the cops, driving into the woods, stripping off his biking gear, running down the side of the road, in his like underwear, so that he so they don't know that he's the guy who just gave him the finger on the bike. Like he's, you know, he's wild, yeah. um, and I think that's his nature. I don't know that it's necessarily because of who his dad was. I, you know, I think he, he did, you know, he did a, a year in in military jail um, back when he was young. Uh, for selling weed when he was in the army. And I think that, you wait, know, if your sold, dad-
0: Hang on, he sold weed, weed while he was in the army?
1: While he was in the army and he got <laughs> he got sent to military jail. And I think that like you have a dad who's involved in all sorts of shit and you're seeing it. It definitely influences you to be like, all right, well, I'm already that way anyway. So I'm gonna continue on that because it's okay. It justifies it to a degree. That being said, Brett, Brett's not going around killing people. So, you know, I guess to some degree, maybe it it lets you like bend the law a little bit and what are you comfortable with in terms of legality, right? But I don't think that if anything, I think they just it's sad. I think they think it's sad, you know, that they didn't partially just that they didn't get to have a relationship with a father figure beyond visiting some guy in prison you know
0: right right yeah it, it's it, it it's sad you know mm-hmm. uh what has become of Brett with his life what what's he doing in LA living the life or
1: he's, has he calmed down a bit yeah I mean he's acted in a couple things he was in uh if you watch the people versus Larry Flint okay. uh Brett plays Woody's younger brother oh. in that And he's actually fantastic. He's a good actor. I, I, he was completely unrecognizable to me. He's got like a little mustache, um, which he does not have in, in person now. Um, but he he was great. Um, so he's acted in some things. Uh, he races, he's like big into the like go-kart racing scene. Um, you know, I mean, he drives a McLaren, like he's got a very fast car. Um, loves his, loves his fast cars. He's, he's vegan like Woody. Um, you know, I went to a birthday party of his, which he had on a yacht in Catalina, uh, at some point during the last couple of years after having done the podcast and had a blast, uh, Brett's a character. He's a character.
0: No children never settled down.
1: No children never settled down. He had a girlfriend the last time I saw him, um, on the yacht. On The yacht, yes, and she was cool. Um,
0: she wasn't just a girlfriend for the yacht party, was she? No,
1: I think she'd been around for a bit, yeah. Right. But you know, I think he's he's a, he's a, he's the bachelor type,
0: yeah. Uh, that's <laughs> whereas, whereas
1: Jordan settled down and has a couple kids, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Wow, you know, I don't know anything about their mother. Do you know anything about their mother?
1: Yeah, she lives in Indiana. Um,
0: did she did not want to. to
1: Yeah. uh, Jordan tried while I was with Jordan. uh, He called his mom and she was like, Jordan, (laughs) I don't want to talk about this. Like she was not having it. He then called his aunt who was also like, Jordan, what are you doing? Um, So they both kind of yelled at him. And that was, and then when we were in Vegas, they, he tried again. And like, you know, I was in the room, he put her on speakerphone and she was like, I am not talking about this not happening. You know, I think that She had the way that Jordan describes it. He's like, he feels like she feels like she got duped by this guy who was a charmer. He took advantage of her. Her father had just passed away when they met, they met on like an airplane, you know, you imagine like he's some guy who picks her up on a plane
0: he did yeah. that a lot, didn't
1: he? Yeah, I think he was. Yeah, well, he was got a-
0: busted because he was hitting on us. A- yes, he
1: was hitting on the stewardess. He was hitting hitting on the flight attendant.
0: Yeah.
1: You is. know, so I, I think he's one of those types, you know, he's got swagger and he's going around and he's hitting on everybody who he comes across who he's attracted to. And in this case, he ends up having three kids with this woman and then going off to prison, you know? And so I think she's like, now I have three kids to raise. I'm a single mom. And that's the end of my, you know, independence. So, you know, I, I can understand that as someone who's 39 years old now and does not have kids. And I recognize like independence is a beautiful thing. I can imagine like if you're in your twenties and you have three kids, that's it.
0: Yeah. But did he, it doesn't sound like he ever lived with her though.
1: I think they lived together for a bit.
0: For a bit. Okay. For a bit. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. When I the kids that. were really young.
0: Yeah. Okay. Young.
1: I think somewhere. he tried, but I, yeah, I think he tried. And that was that. He and apparently she
0: would life. But it he, wasn't. Tr- he
1: attempted it, and it wasn't for him. Probably, yeah. He he wanted that adventure.
0: Yeah, because he doesn't have any other children that we know of.
1: That we know of now.
0: Yeah, amazing. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yay! This was this was so exciting. I would I really would encourage my listeners to go and find Son of a Hitman on Spotify. It is worth the listen, and then come back to this again for 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 more clarity. I guess for me, this is my version of the behind the scenes of your podcast a little mm-hmm. bit, only because mm-hmm. I, I had the uh, pleasure of meeting you and figuring out, hey, this is this is a real fuckery. Um <laughs> Of course, I. I would have loved the literal son of the hitman to come on, but that's too much to ask. Uh, you certainly had a have a wealth of knowledge that they didn't have access to.
1: Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. Hey, Brett's Brett's around L.A. if you could. Uh...
0: <laughs> oh, if I see a McLaren, I'll walk up. Excuse me. Are you
1: Brett? <laughs> I mean, he, watch People versus Larry Flint. You'll see what he looks like. He looks like Woody. Yeah, to a degree. Yeah.
0: By the way, is was Charles of an attractive, handsome sort of debonair guy. Like what was his appeal that made him so irresistible to women?
1: I honestly think it's a confidence thing. I think he just had a swagger. I think he had a confidence. I mean, look, attractiveness is in the, the eye of the beholder. Right. But I think that more than anything else, he was a guy who had a lot of confidence, you know, and could talk. I think he was a good talker. Yeah. Um you know you put those things together i think that goes a long way
0: amazing uh was the woman susan i think who testified sandra again? sandra's here. yeah was she was she scared for her life like after when he yeah. got off what, what happened yeah, she was did she get any kind of witness protection or did she she move? did
1: not she did not get witness protection she did say she was afraid that he was going to come after her and try to kill her
0: did he ever do we know
1: she, as far as I know, no, he did not. Okay. He did not. No. Yeah. But he, yeah, she was, she said she was fearful for her life.
0: Yeah. He may not have been vindictive. That could have been his one redeeming quality. Right. I mean, ultimately,
1: I don't think that any of these murders were out of cruelty or revenge or rage. I think they were, they were all jobs. very, yeah, they were jobs. It was cold, calculating. It's a job.
0: You know, Without giving, well, I might as well share this. It sounded like there was one instance, his very first job that we know of. He was only hired to rough someone up, to just beat him up, you know, like be a goon, go beat somebody up, make him pay us the money they owe us, and then it ends up he ends up shooting this person to death.
1: It's questionable. Well, and you know, I'm I'm not sure whether that's true or not. You know, I, and that's where the details get a little murky. It's like one person says, no, he was supposed to kill them. He was supposed to kill him. Somebody else says, oh, no, I think he was just supposed to go beat him up. And then he killed. To me, I'm like, if you were just supposed to go beat somebody up, why do you shoot them? I don't know that I buy that. Yeah, I don't know that I buy that. But uh, who knows? You know, I will say if you go and you kill somebody, you're not going to get any more money out of them. True. They're alive. They might be able to pay you more, but it could have gotten past that point, you know?
0: But you know what got me like my jaw dropped. I just couldn't what I was astounded at the fact that it was over one hundred and twenty five dollars, wasn't it?
1: I think it was more than that. Well, I can't remember I can't recall exactly what it was. I mean, Charles got paid not a lot. He may have gotten paid like five hundred bucks or a thousand bucks or something to kill the guy. But I think if it was the gambling debt, it was a significant amount of money. It was it. it may have been like $125,000. It was a significant amount of money that he owed to somebody. Um, and he owed this guy, Ted Lewin, who looks like was organized crime, involved with the CIA, overthrowing governments in South America. You know, like not somebody you want to fuck around with and owe a bunch of money to. And, you know, David Berg described overhearing a phone call where Lewin was screaming at his brother over the phone give me my fucking money, you know. Mm. To me that sounds like that's a dangerous person that he's crossed and you know it almost reminded me soon after we had been working on this podcast Uncut Gems came out. I don't know if you saw that with Adam Sandler. He's basically a gambling okay. addict who owes a bunch okay. of money and he keeps and he can't help himself and he keeps doing things until ultimately he gets himself killed because he thinks he's going to get away with.
0: And that's you know, the thing, he's, yeah. he's just
1: going to it's a thing. Yeah. People, people become addicted to gambling, you know? And I think a lot of this world is like, it's gamblers, it's Texas, it's, it's that sort of stuff. I mean, it sounds like Charles was working for this guy, Jack Treetop Strauss, who won the world series of poker in 1980 or something like that, doing collections for him. I mean, it's, and then I also recently saw something where apparently Jack Strauss was like also a very good Card reader, where he could actually—he's six foot seven. He could actually see—he could see people's cards. Who's cheating?
0: I <laughs> love the story. Never sit at a poker table with someone who towers over everyone. Yeah,
1: exactly. Right.
0: Yeah, yeah. Jason, I can't thank you enough for joining me and for your patience with the issues. Uh, no, no worries. Yeah. I, mean, I had issues connecting with Jason listeners. It happens. I'm human. I'm a one person show. See, Jason had Spotify. He had producers. Dead. He had to get, report to people. I get to do whatever the flip I want. But I mean, <laughs> the sad part is I don't get to call someone. I'm having trouble and have a tech Take support person run, <laughs> run in and fix things, you know, in a perfect world. Maybe I don't know that I aspire to that. But hey,
1: no, this was great.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for having you. me. Thank you. Absolutely. Well no, okay, so um I'm gonna get a little personal. When you were packing to leave, was this the same girlfriend who also told you to go knock on the door, Phoenix or someone who said <laughs> yeah. who was who was really it nervous was. for you? I found it, it interesting that she was really nervous about you leaving and going to this danger zone. And then she tells you, Go knock on his door. Just go knock.
1: It was, it's the same person.
0: Um, at well, least she's I consistent. Mean, yeah, I think that
1: I think that probably, you know what, I probably didn't have to worry about anything and going and knocking on his door. In retrospect, I I in some ways I wish I had, but I just wanted to play it safe. I didn't want to I don't know. I just didn't want to overstep and do something stupid and then regret it. Ultimately, like I value my life. I love the story. I love telling the story, but I also recognize I'm a real person, and I, you know, the podcast is over, and I'd like to continue <laughs> right, yeah, <laughs> After the no, podcast ends.
0: Incidentally, is that your your biggest regret, if you have a regret, if you should that you didn't go knocking a story? Is that the one thing you look no, at, like I- you know, that's the one thing I would have done differently?
1: No. I mean, there are certain areas where I think um, it's mostly stylistic choices. I think as a producer, you know, any TV show I've ever worked on by the time it airs and you watch it on television, you're like, oh, I should have, I shouldn't have done that. I should have changed that one thing. It's like little detail things. I don't have any major regrets about the big picture approach to, to, that we took on this thing. And I think, you know, look, I didn't talk to Frank DiMaria in person, but I talked to him over the phone. I don't imagine that I would have a very different experience with him in person had I shown up. I don't think he would have been willing to talk about this. Ultimately, his lawyer ended up reaching out. Um, and it was like a very famous lawyer too, uh, famous Texas lawyer. I dealt with a lot of famous Texas lawyers on this thing, which was a fascinating world to enter into. Um,
0: yeah,
1: yeah. Ironically enough, we were, I was sued for defamation by the eyewitness. Who Shut claimed- up sued for defamation case was dismissed. It was a terrible, terrible lawsuit. Um, but one of our attorneys was Lyndon Johnson's granddaughter. Um, and there are people who conspiracy theorists in the JFK assassination who think that Lyndon Johnson was behind the JFK assassination. And now his granddaughter was representing us in this defamation case, which was ironic. And she was gr- she was a great lawyer, a great attorney. You know, we had really good representation here. But
0: wow. So we was the was she just you personally or Spotify?
1: Me, Spotify, the production company. Um, she was not she was not defamed and a judge a judge ruled that as much. But
0: what was the what was she unhappy with? What did she hear herself say? She,
1: well, that's what it was. It was her own words. Nothing was taken out of context. Um she didn't like that there was an episode titled A Very Unusual Witness. Um, but those were the words of a pros- the prosecutor Rayan had said she was a very effective witness, a very unusual witness um all the episode titles were quotes from the episode
0: so she wasn't happy um, with that title is that she was wasn't that
1: happy pronounced? with the title and she claimed that the podcast insinuated that she was involved in a conspiracy with the FBI to fabricate evidence which i absolutely did not say or insinuate or suggest um you know i said that she may have been mistaken she made a mistake regarding she said Christopher Walken had directed her in a recreation uh documentary about this case and that turned out to not be the case and when i asked her about it she said i was as sure it was walking as i was that it was charles harrelson that morning in the apartment complex and you know so we said (laughs) that was incorrect simple as that you know and um so it's one of those be- things. I knew that people I knew that there were people who I had spoken to who might be unhappy with the way this turns out. You can't please everybody. Unfortunately, um, you know, she was unhappy with the way that it the way that it turned out. But, you know, we were very careful uh, in any language that we use to not to not defame anybody because I was I was concerned about that. And also, I don't want anybody to be unhappy with the You're final just, product. You know, I was trying to be fair to everybody.
0: You were telling the story as best as you could. Right. Mm-hmm. Piecing it together mm-hmm. as, as and plus, I mean, you had I'm guessing there was a legal team behind this, like for Spotify. Yeah. You know
1: yeah. We is? had we had an attorney, you know, I had a fact checker and I had an attorney look over the scripts to make sure that we weren't, you know, crossing any lines. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we did. We did our due diligence and ultimately it was dismissed. And Great. that was that
0: you, you we're victorious. <laughs> um, anyone victorious. else? Anyone else reached out because with feedback that was not quite yeah. supportive?
1: No, for the most part, people have been, you know, really happy. There was an FBI agent who did not talk on the record. Ultimately, um, who was not particularly happy. Um, you know, I think ultimately, anytime there's any criticism of the way something was done, somebody's going to be unhappy with that. And I know that those guys did a whole lot of work in making that case against him and I did not suggest in any way that, you know, they did anything shady. Um, but I think, you know, everybody wants the story to be told the way they want it to be told. And ultimately they don't have that say.
0: Right. And the story told itself. The story
1: told itself. And for the most part, everybody was really gracious. Um, and in fact, appreciative, you know, Mm -hmm. um, there were people who said Allenberg's sister, um, said she hadn't really, she reached out after the fact and said she had never really came to terms with what had happened. And that in doing the podcast, she actually got to talk it out and it was really cathartic for her. Um, and she appreciated that. And that was nice to hear, you know, cause you just, you want to tell the story in a way where you're not, I don't know, this is really personal stuff. This is somebody's life, you know, and- um,
0: how, how did Brett and Jordan and probably Woody
1: <laughs> okay. You know, I, don't, I have no idea how Woody felt about it. Um, Jordan I've heard from a lot uh since and he's really happy with it. Um Brett really liked it. I don't know if he ever finished listening to it, I'll be totally <laughs> honest. Yeah, he
0: probably didn't have the patience <laughs> to
1: and, He's and- like, he's all over the place, but he liked what he heard and he was he said he gets really good feedback from people all over the world telling him that they really like it. Um so it's nice, yeah.
0: Has he pitched you any uh TV shows? <laughs>
1: At one point, Aha! at one point, he wanted to do a show about him, like in different disguises, like fucking with the cops and then running away from them.
0: <laughs> oh, you mean punked
1: oh, with cops? And oh, I'm like, cops. that sounds and- like a great way to get shot. Like, I don't, you know I don't know That's if I want not- to be anywhere near the cameras.
0: You know what, Brett? It sounds like something you can do yourself and slap on YouTube. Oh, exactly. Or like TikTok, you shoot the pilot. Shoot
1: the pilot, right, or put it on TikTok. I would love to see it. I don't know if I want to produce it, but it's funny. Great idea.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's quite funny. Um, yeah, yeah. And my final question. See, you may just be the, only, the the first guest that I don't ask this question to, but by asking it, I guess I'm asking it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Lots of double names.
1: <laughs> it sounds like probably. you're asking it, right?
0: <laughs> so I often ask my guests to say goodbye to my listeners the way they say goodbye to a loved one. So... Do you have like a cute way or do you not have loved ones in your life?
1: (laughs) I do, but I'm not a very uh, sentimental type.
0: You're not demonstrative with your affections.
1: I am not. I'm probably like, all right, talk soon.
0: Oh, wow. All right, listeners, you heard it right there. All right, got to run. (laughs) Got to run. (laughs) <laughs> I'll talk to you later. Oh, Brad, it was such a pleasure talking to you. Pleasure
1: talking to you, too.
0: Thank you.
1: All right. Bye-bye.
0: Bye bye. Bye.